we'll be talking about YouTube, Nintendo's recent Direct, and more in this premiere of the second season of the Super Jump Podcast. Here we go, off the rails, don't you know it's time to raise our sails, it's freedom like you never knew. Welcome to the Super Jump Podcast. I'm Mitchell Wolf, and I'm here as always with my co-host and editor-in-chief of Super Jump, James Burns. Hey, James, how's it going in 2018? It's going great. It's I'm excited and I'm pain-free. <laughs> pain. Uh, now, what do you mean by pain? Pain-free? <laughs> pain-free. Yeah, we we were just talking before we started recording about our various um, medical adventures recently, and. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's just nice to be here in one piece, Mitchell. Yeah, I I feel that uh, you had you had a dental thing. Yeah, a um a, a series of dental incidents, and and I think <laughs> I think we're almost over them now. Luckily, a series of dental incidents. Yeah, I I just like the way that sounds. <laughs> I was um I was just at the eye doctor, and they uh they took my blood pressure. You know, like they do. And my diastolic blood pressure was apparently half of what's normal. Like, it's normal to be 80-whatever unit that would be. Mm-hmm. And mine is 40 or 45 in that area. And uh, they they said, oh, no, that's fine. But that sounds like something that's not fine. So I've been, like, a little <laughs> weirded out about that today. Yeah. Um. It could just be my generally chill attitude toward things, or also a, a thing that I should worry about. <laughs> it depends. I think that's the, I can picture that being the medical diagnosis. He's just generally chill. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, like someone else we're going to talk about today, he's just too chill to die. Uh, this is the Super Jump Podcast. Get excited about who I'm talking about, by the way. Uh, <laughs> This is the Super Jump Podcast. We are a video gaming podcast. Uh, we don't... The podcast itself isn't a video game, unless you were not confused by that. Um, but we do talk about video games. So if that's something you like, if that's something you enjoy, please remember to subscribe and follow where appropriate in order to get these episodes as soon as they come out every single time. Uh, in the new year, that's going to be more important uh, because... Okay, for no real reason. Just I say it's more important. I think you should believe me. Uh, I'm a credible guy. So, what is the theme of today's episode? Well, we don't really do that so much anymore. Uh, we're going into season two, and with season two, we have a different, more segmented ep- uh, episode. We still have deep dives into one specific thing like we normally do, uh, but that's just now part of it. Uh, That'll be our hot topic that comes up toward the end of the podcast. But before that, 
we have some other things going on, James. First, we have the Playtime Report. Yay. Yay. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't decided yet if I'm going to add music there. So if, if I don't, it's going to be weird. <laughs> uh, so what have you been playing since last episode? Which has been quite a while now. Yeah. Um, well, so I took the opportunity um, over the kind of Christmas New Year break to go back and play some games that I'd missed. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's a bit of a weird grab bag of stuff, actually. I just started playing Steamworld Dig 2 on Switch, um, and that was actually on Kaylee Kwa's recommendation. She wrote a piece about that on Super Jump, and I thought it looked really interesting, and it's, it's really, really cool. Um, I... I also dived into Fortnite for the first time uh, recently, so I'm, I'm now, pretty... Now, did you play the regular mode of Fortnite, or did he play the PUBG-esque-like mode of Fortnite? Uh, just just the regular PvE game at the okay. moment. Yeah, um, and, and I'm not too far into that. I've really only just done... I'm, I'm only a little bit kind of after the initial tutorial, Um but it looks pretty interesting. I think it's going to be something that I'm going to keep playing. Um, I also went back to randomly Just Cause 3, which came out ages ago on um, on multiple platforms. I'm playing it on PS4. Now, did you have a reason for going back or did you just do it just because? Uh, <laughs> see what you did there. Um <laughs> Uh, well, it was a game I was always kind of interested in. Like the concept is quite unique, I think. Um, and I mean, for the I'm actually anime- pretty unfamiliar with this whole series. Uh, yeah, what would, be, what would be a little summary that you could give me? Basically, imagine you're playing GTA with a crazy, all-powerful hookshot that allows you to hookshot onto. Um, you know, terrain and buildings oh, wow. and vehicles from a long distance. So, and it's got this realistic physics happening as well. So to give you an example of what you can do, like if you're being chased by like an attack helicopter or something, you can hook shot onto it and hijack it. Um, and Whoa, then that sounds super cool. It is really is cool. Yeah, yeah. It is really, really cool. When everyone was talking about this game, I should have like paid attention. <laughs> Well, I think one of the reasons I kind of didn't go near it initially was it had, and I don't know if this was just the PS4 version, but it had uh, reports of really severe performance problems because the game has a lot of like really destructible environments. And mm-hmm. um, I know that the, the developers have patched it quite a bit uh, over the last, I think it's been out for a couple of years now. Um, it still suffers from some slowdown, but for me, it's pretty bearable. It's it's okay most of the time. Um, it also had really long load times, which seemed to have been largely fixed. So I thought, yeah, now that it's been patched, I'll go back and try it. And um, it, it's really cool. It's really good fun. Um, it's not a concept I've seen done anywhere else, and it's it's executed really well here. Um, this is so from I, the era of games where uh, the prevailing problem, almost like loot boxes are now, was that games were coming out in relatively heavily glitched 
statuses. Mm. Um, they, they called it the the uh, surge of unfinished games, uh, which in retrospect feels a little bit hyperbolic. But I guess everything. I'm sure the scare over loot crates will feel hyperbolic as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that turned a lot of people off of a lot of games that were uh, pretty great under the surface of all those technical problems. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And it and it definitely impacted a lot of the reviews. Like if you go back and read those reviews, there were a lot of people who were sort of saying, you know, if it weren't for the performance problems, we would have given this game a much higher recommendation. It is really good under the surface. Um and the only other game I'm playing at the moment is just here and there. I'm I'm still playing Breath of the Wild. I'm almost finished the Champions Ballad DLC. So I, I'm not playing it like, you know, a, a huge amount each week, but um I now and then I just play it for thirty minutes or something. We're just over or yeah, just over a month and a half until that game turns one year old. And uh <laughs> Yeah, we're probably just going to talk about it forever. I this is so. our <laughs> this is our uh our one game that we just keep bringing up. I I've been listening to a lot of gaming podcasts for uh, like a long time, and it seems like each podcast has that one game they just can't stop talking about even though they know they should probably not talk about it anymore. <laughs> um I listen to Polygon's The Besties and they every, almost every month this year they've talked about uh, Near Automata, uh, <laughs> uh, another one by uh, Super Bunny, or uh, is it Bunny? Super Bunny Hop. Super from Bunny YouTube. Hop. Yeah, yeah. His podcast. Uh, they they just do Metal Gear. Metal Gear Rising comes up every single time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And we're just Breath of the Wild. I think we just have to own that. We can't be afraid of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Part of our personality. And you know, I think if you have a game that you that you keep going back to. So you're, you're talking about it, but you're also playing it. You know, mm-hmm. you, you are actually, um, you do actually keep going back to it. I, I really think that says something. Um, I'm just, I know they haven't announced any more DLC for Breath of the Wild, and I know they've confirmed they're at least thinking about the next Zelda. But the more I play Breath of the Wild, the more I keep thinking, man, I wish there was more DLC. <laughs> I just yeah, want to keep playing. Unfortunately, they did say uh I think at the end of December they confirmed that they are completely done with DLC for Breath of the Wild and that they're already developing the next thing and like Yeah. That's cool cuz I'm I, I'm glad that that means that the next game is going to come out sooner probably. Um sooner than the 5 or 6 year long waits between Zelda games that we're accustomed to now. But I mean, I, I do want more Breath of the Wild. I just, <laughs> you could just put any dumb like crossover character in Breath of the Wild, and that's like another ten hours of me playing that game. Yeah, yeah. Give me a new T-shirt, and that gives me an excuse to go and replay it again. Yeah. <laughs> um. So James, I've been playing. Uh, I, I've been playing a good amount of games too. Speaking of Switch games that came out kind of a while ago that I'm still playing, I've been playing some Mario Party Deluxe uh, over over the holidays mm-hmm. uh my sister had a get together with a bunch of her uh college friends and i was there because i'm just sometimes there i guess 
that's my lot in life. And I set up Mario Kart on the TV there. And I, I've... college kids love Mario Kart. It is impossible for them to like be at a party with Mario Kart and for them to be like, oh, or for them not to be, oh, I, I uh, want to get that. I want to get a part of that. Yeah. Uh, and that turned into like a huge little tournament thing that's fun. That's uh, cool. I've been playing a lot of bad Android games as well. A lot of really bad, very app-invasive Android games because I recently switched from my <laughs> iPhone 6 to my first Android phone. Uh, I have a Galaxy S8 now. And mm. I've been just looking ac- across the free games to like play a passive game while I listen to a podcast, that kind of thing. And... James, they're so bad. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's the ecosystem. I have no idea what's doing it. But like every game at all that I try for Android, is it, it'll stop the game at certain points. It won't just have an app or have an advertisement on a part of the screen. It'll just stop the game and push one in my face for 30 seconds at a time. No, very few iPhone games that I've just found in the Mm. free section of the app store have behaved like that that's it's so crazy to me that that's the norm on this platform well when i saw bad android games in the show notes i i just had this image of if we were recording in the same room this would be the part where i'd have my hand on your shoulder and i'd be saying mitchell do we need to talk about this um (laughs) I, i felt bad for you and funnily enough i've just made the switch back from Android to iOS and I was not I I was not a big like I've never been a big gamer on mobile at all but um, I did download a couple of games on iOS that have been surprisingly amazing I'm not sure if they're on Android as well Um, I think it's the ecosystem there's there's something to do with that ecosystem I don't understand why well, I, I think it. I think you and I'm not quite sure about the details of the whole approval process and everything, but I I had the same experience on Android as well, um, and it made me a little bit wary about not just games but other apps in general. Like um, you definitely have to be a little bit careful. I would I would get apps that would actually, um, if they were really benign, they might just throw up an ad. But in some cases, they would actually take me out of the app and try and take me to a, a, a URL on Chrome or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I just, that is just a really bad experience. Um, there are some great games on Android, but yeah, you, you've got to be a little bit careful. <laughs> they're, they're so bad. <laughs> like the, the, the Android version of the same game a lot mm. of the time is just like immediately offensive it's just (laughs) immediately not great to to live with yeah um i have played two different apart from that actually three different games on switch that are uh good (laughs) so so we got a little positivity there the first uh is brawl out um and actually that's i'll I'll say it's good i I i'll also say it needs a lot of work james yeah, um, Brawlout is a Super Smash Brothers clone. I, I think it's fair to call it that. 
Mm. Um, that's a lot simpler than Super Smash Brothers. Uh, there are no grabs. There is no shielding. There are dodges and rolls. Um, and apart from that, there's just special moves and physical moves. And that's it. Um, yeah. So it's a very simplified pared down version of smash brothers there's no there's no even item or uh, option for items or for like party-esque elements of play there mm. um it, it just very simplified and i can kind of i can kind of jive with that that's that's cool i i don't necessarily need it to be too crazy um because when i play super smash brothers with my friends we usually end up turning the items off anyway uh we don't like to get too like bogged down with the party elements of super smash brothers sometimes it's fine it's just not for us um and for, for that reason i thought it'd be really into brawl out but just the, the lack of complexity in the uh fighting in brawl out and the combat Add, added to the fact that on the switch version at least i don't know about the the other console versions of brawl out there are like good frame drops like substantial mm-hmm. um freeze freezes when uh i couldn't even tell why it was happening because it wasn't when there were too many elements on screen or anything like that it it seemed random uh which is upsetting but it does have one from guacamelee and he's a very good character <laughs> in brawl out he's my new main he's my brawl out main uh, it also has the Drifter from Hyper Light Drifter. Yeah, that's cool. And all other characters are original. Um, I, I'm excited to see if they add new third-party or uh, just guest indie characters. That could be cool. Maybe see Shovel Knight. Maybe see Ukulele. Um, could be a cool uh, development. Maybe the guy from Spelunky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I brought Brawl out to that same party that I, I brought Mario Kart, and it just didn't it didn't have that same appeal that I think Smash Brothers would have. That um, I'm not sure what it is. It could be any number of things, but whatever that X factor is, yeah, uh, maybe it's just not quite there, unfortunately. Do you very do you... very good? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. What? Sorry. No, I was no, just gonna right. I was just gonna ask. Um, do you think that it its problems? Could you see its problems being improved through patches, or do you think it's too fundamental? So is it a game that you sort of think has promise over time? It depends on... I I don't know too much about the developer's philosophy about that kind of thing, but I I suppose it could have. It it, it could improve. Um, Mm. Like that frame drop thing, if that's just optimization, that could always improve. But if that's a... If it's already optimized and we're just hitting the maximum of what it can do on that hardware, mm. that is a problem. Um, if they have plans to add things like throws and blocks uh, to the fighting system, that'd be cool. Um, but if they just don't want to do that, I guess it's kind of a problem. Yeah. Uh, and and a lot of characters, a lot of the original characters are actually just clones of one another, so they're. I'm probably wrong about this. There's probably like significant differences between them, but it seems like there's really only four unique original characters and then a bunch of different versions of those. Yeah. Uh, Meaning that there's only like six unique fighter types in the whole game. If you add Juan and the Drifter, 
yeah. which uh, can get can get kind of stale. And so it, if those things are are worked on and there's effort added to it over time, and it, th- th- I know that there is going to be more work put into it over time, I just don't know the nature of it. Yeah, uh, it could be great. It it could really turn out to be a, a, f- a fundamental smash competitor. At the moment, though, it's just kind of a, a curiosity. It's neat. Yeah. Um, games that are beyond curiosity, though, like really, really good games. I've been playing Goro Goa. Uh, it's a hard thing to say, Goro Goa, and that's because it's a made-up word, which doesn't help. But it's uh, <laughs> it is the product of one guy, uh, and I always I always love games that are made specifically by one person. Yeah. Um, it, they they always feel very personal. Like, uh, I mean, these games usually have one or two other people doing something on them. Like, uh, Undertale had guest animators and Braid had, uh, I think also guest animators do that kind of thing, but they were very, uh, singular in their vision. Mm. Gorogo is like that too. It's, it's one person over a seven year long period, um, everything you see in the game is a pencil drawing like a real pencil drawing that he did and he's not a video game designer by trade he's an artist um yeah it's amazing it's amazing what he's been able to do with that game um as for the gameplay itself it's kind of hard to describe but it's a puzzle game it's a puzzle adventure game i suppose um you're given four panels in a in a square and each of those panels have like a different scene on them and depending on how you arrange those panels and how you interact with them you could end up um like sending one object from one panel to the next or something like that yeah and uh you can put them anywhere you want on your screen this probably sounds like gibberish uh it's it's hard to explain it's a really cool concept though um i would recommend anyone check it out it's it's absolutely worth it it's a very short game if you're short on time but i i think i've been thinking about it every ever since i finished it so it's long in that sense i've also been playing oxenfree which over the new year was like five dollars on switch which is just a crazy deal uh really cool adventure horror game um i'm right i'm in the middle of writing a piece on it for super jump actually so uh expect that soon and let's go ahead and get into our next segment james are you ready for the newsy nibble i'm ready what's our nibble this week james well we're talking about the surprise nintendo direct on the mm-hmm. 11th of january which uh, uh which i found this sort of funny because do you remember, like, in the days leading up to this, there were increasingly loud calls all over the internet from fans insisting that there must be a Nintendo Direct soon or else, uh, to the point where some of the some of the gaming media outlets were actually reporting on kind of the fan fervor around it. Um, and then, lo yeah. and behold, it drops. And... Uh, it, it, it's interesting because um, remember in our last show uh, uh, in at the end of season one, we were talking about <clears throat> predictions for 2018, and mm-hmm. and at the time we 
you know, we knew something about the games that were announced by Nintendo for 2018, but there were, you know, there was a lot of dead air. There were a lot, a lot of things we, we didn't know about. And, um, we were just talking about the fact that, you know, Nintendo seems to be increasingly doing these directs, uh, where they're announcing new games and they seem to have this focus now where there might be a few big releases they announce months ahead of time, but increasingly they seem to focus on almost quarter by quarter. So, you know, they'll announce a game maybe two to three months before it's actually due to be released. Uh, and, and we got a little bit of that in this direct. Mind you, this was, a, this was a mini, apparently. So uh, mm-hmm. we, we may be due for a bigger direct sometime soon. So here's something annoying about this direct. Uh, the fact that it r- released in at 6 a.m. my time um, is annoying on its own because, uh, <laughs> you know, like it, when you're like us and we have some vested interest in reporting on things, you kind of want to be there in the moment. And uh, that's no, it's not possible if you don't announce the thing. Uh, <laughs> but beyond that, there were so many pet theories about this direct. One of them was uh, Nintendo put out this tweet, Nintendo of America. It was Takatu from Super Mario Odyssey. It's the parrot. And they were saying, like, ah, you, where is it? I know where it is. You have to find it. And people are like, is that? Or is it referring to the Nintendo Direct? Is it already somewhere on the internet and we need to find it? And then someone on the internet said, no. This is what it means. Spell that tweet out. How many letters is it? It's 111. That's January 11th. This was done on the 8th of the month, which is stupid. James, this shouldn't have worked. It it was, for that reason, they thought it was January 11th because of how many letters was in that tweet, or were in that tweet. Uh, Then, later on, they posted... um, a picture of Chibi Robo on fire. And then a different <laughs> one of their accounts posted one of the people from Mitomo as uh, like dressed up like a hot dog. Mm. And they were totally just engaging with the trolls. And another person in, uh, somewhere on the internet realized, hey, Chibi Robo Ziplash and Mitomo were both announced in Nintendo Directs that weren't announced themselves. Those Nintendo Directs came out of nowhere to announce those games. That's what this is talking about. And that is also stupid. That is ridiculous. <laughs> and both those things turned out to be correct. The <laughs> Nintendo Direct turned out to, ha- to, uh, to come out on January 11th, and there was no announcement of it before it came out. So that radical thinking that the internet has done for this Nintendo Direct... <laughs> Like, it was all true. It was all right. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, look, I don't know how I feel about this. I, <laughs> I'm I'm probably a little bit jaded because I came from the, the Steam user forums community and, and in particular the Half-Life 2 community there. And my God, Mitchell, the amount of crazy conspiracy thinking and analysis that's been going on for like well really since i guess 2007 ish 
mm-hmm. about Half-Life 3 or Episode 3 or, I mean, uh, you know, people were people were virtually, like, interpreting the weather and trying to figure out what was going to be announced. I mean, <laughs> I, I so I feel like I'm a little bit inoculated to some of this now. Um, but, James, this turned out to be true. This... <laughs> None of the Half-Life 3 rumors are true. That's this one true. happened. That, that's right. Um, and, you know, what can I say? I guess Nintendo um, Nintendo are learning over time how to wrap everybody around their little finger. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, and it's working. So, um, the next theory for Nintendo Direct, Supernatural, whatever, is <laughs> that every mini Direct that's ever happened, and there's been 11 of them, has been followed within 20 days by a full-length direct. Right. So we're, I guess that's on the way. No no theories are wrong now. If it makes sense in the vaguest <laughs> terms, it's correct. Um, so expect that. We're, we'll be talking about that next episode, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's talk about what was in that direct. Uh, first of all, there's a lot of ports. Uh, people that were upset that the Switch was... For a lot of its library, a port console in 2017, it does not look like your feelings will change at all in 2018 because we have a lot of those on the way still. Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze uh, New Funky Mode Edition is coming out. Uh, Now it has Funky Kong, who is the person I was talking about earlier in the episode when I referenced the idea of being way too chill to die. Uh, he's just too cool to have less than five hearts when Donkey Kong, the normal playable character, has two. Um, he can breathe underwater forever when Donkey Kong has an air meter. He can just stand on spikes on his surfboard, and every other character, that would be impossible. Um, he can roll forever, which is something that's normally only able to be done when Donkey Kong has Diddy Dixie or Cranky on his back. So he's basically um, not quite in easy mode because the levels and the enemies and the challenges themselves don't change at all, but an overpowered mode. Um, Yeah. So if you had trouble with Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, if it was too difficult um, for you to get into it, now you have Funky Kong and he'll protect you. Uh, How do you feel about this? How do you feel about Funky Kong? I absolutely love this. I um so I I've only played Tropical Freeze a little bit on Wii U. I never owned it. Um, one of my scandalous. sisters owned it. Absolutely scandalous. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I get in trouble every time I talk to my siblings about it. They um my my brother and sister still um play it, and they actually have um I reckon probably every second weekend or something they'll actually sit there with a couple of drinks. And because they probably need them, and uh, <laughs> they will, and they will play this intensely difficult game. They've played it like two or three times already, but they just love it that much that they decide to kind of, you know, take turns and co-op it a little bit. Um, I'm I'm really excited about this. You know, I missed it on Wii U. I'm really happy it's coming to Switch. I think everybody assumed that if any game was going to be ported, this was going to be very likely. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I love the inclusion of Funky Kong because, you know, it's not just 
like going to a menu and setting an easy mode option and all of a sudden the enemies do less damage or they scrub some enemies from the level you know it's not like a it, it's not like a lazy way to make the game easier it's this really clever kind of nuanced way of on the one hand making it more bearable and on the other hand adding something that's really fun and interesting and i yeah. just think that that is really um that that's that requires a lot of um you know, creativity and attention to detail. And I just think that's the right way to do it. Um, and just looking at all the ports, I, to me, this is one thing that stands out about them as well. Like, I'm sure there are just some straight ports coming to Switch. But one thing I'm noticing with a lot of these ports is they are actually going back and making some changes. And in some cases, it's just a question of, we're going to throw in all the DLC and we're going to add some other content on top of that. Right. Um, you know, in some cases we get new modes. Um, so there's a lot of kind of value add going on here. And I, I feel like, to be honest, compared to what's going on in the rest of the industry and a lot of the, those complaints, mm-hmm. um, N- Nintendo just seems to get this right. Like they're adding value without sort of saying okay, you know, now we're going to break this up into a million paid DLCs or whatever else. Um, I've been thinking about Tropical Freeze a lot in the last couple of days since the Direct, and I, I think it's my favorite 2D platformer ever. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, all the 2D Mario games and Mega Man and even Shovel Knight. Even Shovel Knight's up there for me. I think Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze might be my favorite 2D platformer of all time. Um, one one other thing about this game, <laughs> I, I saw a tweet and I thought it was is pretty uh, pretty exceptional. I unfortunately don't remember who it was tweeted by and I couldn't find it, so sorry out there. But they brought up the point that in so many games, easy mode is infantilized right like you're made to feel Mm. bad or or just you know not good enough if you have to play a game in easy mode Mm. and if it's something so even if they don't do that even if it's like you know i I think the super mario 3d world had like that gold um like that gold raccoon leaf yeah that it made you invincible and you could just get through like every problem um if it's like that, you still know that it's an easy mode and it still feels bad to do it a little bit. With Funky Kong, maybe that'll still be the case, but it's also just really cool that he's just so cool, that's why he's good. Like, he's just a cool guy. That's why it's very easy for him to get through the level. Um, so that's great. I, I think it, it takes away a lot of the possible embarrassment factor of an easy mode in a game that's otherwise supposed to be pretty hard. Here's a game that I don't think is very hard at all. Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition. This is the third release of Hyrule Warriors in four years. What do you think about this? Oh, uh, look, to be honest, Mitchell, I <laughs> my my this is gonna sound horrible, but my my care factor for this one is probably below zero. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you anti care. I, I it cares about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's going to pay me to play. Um, <clears throat> no, I mean, it's just because, for me, all of these kind of warriors, 
you know, Dynasty Warriors, Fire Emblem Warriors style games, mm-hmm. the that core gameplay conceit is just something I'm not interested in. I, I mean, I played, and I know it's a, I know it's different from Hyrule Warriors, but I played uh, Fire Emblem Warriors at E3 last year, and and I, re- I, it almost felt like I was playing it as a courtesy to Nintendo because they wanted me to look at it. They're like, <laughs> "Hey, do you want to look at this?" And I, I have just the same been playing. Thing I, I, yeah, through, I was uh, speaking of Chibi Robo Ziplash. I played through that just yeah. because someone was like, oh, "You really got to check that one out." Like, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I was just, pl- I had just been playing New Donk City in Mario Odyssey, you know, and. Mm-hmm. Then they're like, oh, maybe we should stop and look at Fire Emblem Warriors. And I'm sort of like, okay, <laughs> I didn't really want to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I- I'm sure that these franchises, this um, style of gameplay kind of, you know, it obviously has its fans. and yeah, it's a huge fan um, base, the, the Musou yeah. fan base. Yeah, and there are obviously a lot of people who, you know, again, probably who missed this on on wii u and it's a good opportunity to play it now on switch and it's a it's a definitive edition so there's a lot of extra content there so from a value perspective if especially if you've never played it before uh it's probably a good time to jump in but it but it doesn't interest me personally yeah the uh the main fire emblem or sorry hyrule warriors uh story involves elements from ocarina of time twilight princess and skyward sword and then the 3DS version of the game added uh, extra missions based on Majora's Mask and Wind Waker, like the, the two 3D big Zelda games that they passed over. And yep. now it looks like all of that stuff is in one area uh, in HD, and there's even some Breath of the Wild nods as well. So if you didn't play this at all, in the past four years um a kind of impressive (laughs) if this is something for you and you didn't play it in that much time in that many releases wow but uh if if you manage to do that i guess pick it up it's just this is actually we were just talking about how these games are changed or added something uh with every port and i like the very next game we talk about i kind of disagree now uh, Hyrule Warriors, this is everything that was in the 3DS version of the game, just in on the Switch now. Which is a little bit disappointing, honestly. But I know this game has a lot of fans, so I'm not going to try to take it away from them. Uh, I, I'm excited for you, even if I don't sound that way. Uh, <laughs> this is this is un-Super Jump. We're a positive group, James. Yay! <laughs> Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition. Alright! Next is The World Ends With You Final Mix. Uh, this was... An incredibly popular, um, but not necessarily financially successful Nintendo DS game back in the day, about 10 years ago. Did you play this one when it came out? No, I didn't. And I'm actually thinking um, this is one that I might pick up for Switch because I, even though I have a, a DS and a 3DS, I um, there's a lot of games I missed because I'm just not really a big handheld gamer. Um, and I know I've missed a lot of really great games. So seeing some of those games come out on Switch is great because now they've got a lot more chance of capturing my attention. Yeah, I don't, I don't have much to say about this one. Uh, it's, it's definitely 
the good kind of port it, it they said that they added like a whole other story part in it so cool mm-hmm. and uh, the original game was so tied into the controls of the ds and the dual screen functionality of it so i'm interested to see how it's going to work on the switch yeah. apparently there was an ios port um that kind of changed the game a bit so it would work with single screen so i'm assuming that this game is a remaster of the ios port more than the ds game itself um, yeah which is fine i i didn't play either so uh i i can't speak on to how good or bad that might be um but i i, I know this game has so many fans and i've been told to play this game a lot over the years so i'm i'm with you i'm this might be my jumping in point yeah. Uh, next is a game that is very important. Uh, the Switch is getting Dark Souls. That's that's a huge deal. That that is a massive deal. I was I was really excited to see this at the end of the direct. The um, idea of I, a Nintendo, not not even a Nintendo console, a Nintendo portable getting Dark Souls after yeah. all these years of just the status quo is amazing this means that we are in a different place i think yeah i think so this is and and i mean dark souls has been out on um playstation xbox and pc but it's it's probably been most synonymous with playstation uh over the years um it's it's one of those like I mean, I know it's not nearly as big as a GTA or something like that, but it, it's one of those franchises that, you know, if, if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, would we see Dark Souls on a Nintendo platform? I, I probably would have said that's extremely unlikely. Mm-hmm. So to actually see this coming out, um, and it is, this is a multi-platform release. Um, the remaster we, of Dark Souls 1, yeah. Yeah, um, but but it's so exciting to see it on Switch. And, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how they handle um, how they handle it on Switch because the game is um, sort of, how do I put it, um, the, the way that it works in terms of game saves and the fact that you can't pause it. Um, there are, you know, it, it's it's not really a game that's designed for that kind of handheld setting um, where you might want to play for a few minutes and save and put it down. It doesn't really work that way. So it'll, I mean, obviously you can put your, your Switch to sleep and everything. There's kind of an OS level thing that you can do. But it'll be interesting to see if, if Bandai Namco actually... Um, do something specific on switch around save states and and that sort of thing and how much that affects the game maybe this is off base but i do expect a pause function in this game i Mm. yeah maybe maybe that would just change it too much uh like the the core feeling of the game but i i don't know (laughs) (laughs) on that's a very good point like i can't just have my switch running when i'm in portable mode all the time because i'll i'll be like getting up from a train or or uh or, or sitting down in a train really all my train-based activities involve me not playing the switch at that moment and then starting again so that yeah. would be it would be pretty funky if i had to uh put it in sleep mode really quick for all of those times but i guess it's something that could happen 
Um, you're a big Dark Souls guy. You've you've played through Dark Souls. I, I I'm sure more than once, right? Uh, would does this sound like something you're going to invest in again? Uh, definitely. Because, okay. <laughs> um, so there's the actual, and we don't know a lot of details about this. Um, we just posted yesterday, we just published a, well, yesterday, by the time this podcast comes out, it will be, it'll be a few days ago. We published a preview of, of Dark Souls Remastered. And I mean, we know that the game, um, we know we're going to see a resolution bump. Mm-hmm. Um, the Switch uh, gets a reasonable resolution bump in TV mode. It's 1080p um, at 30 frames a second. In handheld mode, it's 720p at 30 frames a second. Um, I think I we... would rather have 720 at 60 docked if that was if that's a trade off that they could have done. Well, it's interesting because on the other platforms, it'll be running at 60 frames a second, but if you think about the, the the very deliberate nature of Dark Souls combat and the precision of the combat and the movement, mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering if they're going to need to make some significant adjustments to handle 60 frames a second. Apparently, if you mod the PC version to run at 60 frames a second, it causes all sorts of issues, especially with things like jumping. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are certain spots places in dark souls where you need to kind of jump over a gap and the jumping's always been a bit awkward in the souls games anyway um so it'll it's just it'll be interesting to see how deep the changes are aside from just kind of the graphics upgrades um the the big reason to get into it now though i think aside from the the nicer resolution and everything is they've made some huge improvements to the online experience the the original game was um, uh, like a peer to peer setup, and the the ability to play PVE with a co op partner it's something that you could do, but it it took a long time to connect to the other person. You often connected to someone else by accident. There was no way to directly connect with a friend. Um, it was just a very kind of unstable system. <clears throat> that didn't work very well. Um, The new release has dedicated servers. Um, They're bringing back the the password matching system from Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3. So two people can can directly link up. Um, You know, you can directly play with a friend, which is much, much better. Um, And they're going to allow up to six players in an instance rather than four from the original. So there's quite a lot changing here other than just the graphics. And that's just based on what we know now. I, I have a feeling we'll learn a little bit more about some of the other changes. Um, I'm hoping they, they actually do some bug fixes and, and some other tidy up things that they never did in the originals. So um, they may or may not do that, but I hope they do. So something that I'm... Uh, nervous about in that regard would be the Switch version's probable failure in terms of online connectivity. Not on any part due to from like their work seems great. Uh, Nintendo themselves have just had 
stumble after stumble with getting a good online ecosystem going for Switch. Is that something that'll affect Dark Souls and or any other third-party game, do you think? Or is that just going to be done on its own? Well, I think for Dark Souls, I think the biggest issue really is that there's no system-level voice chat at the moment for Switch. Um, Right. I mean, you can certainly, certainly a lot of people play co-op Dark Souls without that. But, you know, if you're playing with a friend, you want to be on voice chat as well. Um, If you're doing that, even on PS3, you've got, um, you know, the game itself has never supported voice chat as far as I know. But you've always had that kind of OS level voice chat capability. Um, I think that I think that's the only thing they're really missing here because uh, it seems to me that the the actual online infrastructure for this will be handled by Bandai Namco, not by Nintendo. So it's going to be up to them, you know, to to make sure that that the performance is reasonable. Um, But man, the Switch could really benefit from from an OS level voice chat capability. It definitely, definitely could. Especially because just the idea of, even if they do that, even if they okay Dark Souls to be part of the app, the phone app that they use for Switch connectivity, um, it's just it just seems so antithetical to Dark Souls to get like all set up with your system, your controller in hand, probably the Pro controller because you, like you you need that dexterity. And then you just need to get your phone app and you plug your headphones into your, your <laughs> <Yeah>. cell phone. <laughs> it, just, it, just sounds, it feels so dinky, the idea of it. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah exactly. Smartphone you, app for Dark Souls. Yeah, you don't want to be a Dark Souls dickhead. You know, you just want to, <laughs> you just, you just want to play the game like a normal person. Um, yeah. So, I mean, look, I, I'm still holding out hope that <laughs> Nintendo addressed this in some way. But... This, you know, especially if you're a person who has been um, fairly dedicated to Nintendo platforms in the past, you know, obviously a lot of people aren't going to go out there and spend a lot of money on lots of consoles. A lot of people aren't in a position to do that. Um, So if you've kind of backed the Nintendo horse and that's been your console of choice, then this is so awesome. Like, I can't wait to see... Um, Nintendo fans playing this for the first time. Um, yeah, this I felt is that so same cool. way. I felt that same way about Doom back in November. Just yeah. a, a game that's very mechanically focused, and I, I think me- mechanical focuses are a lot of what Nintendo fans are driven by. Yeah, uh, but they just wouldn't expect a game like Doom, or a game that looks like Doom at least, uh, to be that for them. And but it totally is, and I, I'm excited that the Switch. It seems like the generation that really gets those Nintendo fans out of their comfort zone a little bit. Um, speaking of comfort zones, I'm out of mine with East 8 Lacrimosa of Donna. Uh, <laughs> do you know anything <laughs> about this? Um, look, I know it came not... out on PS4 before. It's not new. It's a port. Yeah, I, I believe it started on the PlayStation Vita and then went to PS4 and Windows at some stage. Um, I, I don't know a lot about it. I never played the original game. I did have a little glance back and looked at some of the reviews when it came out on the Vita and 
it got really good reviews. Like, I mean, I know we're not a, I know we're not into review scores per se, but we're talking pretty much all eights and nines out of ten across the board. So, um, from the looks of it, you know, it was received really well. It's it's probably one of those games I imagine that is a little bit limited just by its name aside from anything else. Like, I imagine unless you're a hardcore fan of this franchise, it's probably a game that a lot of people overlooked. Um, But just watching the footage in the direct, um, you know, this whole concept of kind of having a base that, that expands and builds up as you go out in the world and fight monsters and and level up, um, you know, the concept seems really interesting to me. Apparently the battle mechanics are really, really strong. Um, so this, this looks like a really good addition to the Switch library. And again, it's probably one of those cases where because it's coming out on Switch um, and Switch is a console I play pretty frequently, it, it's just more likely that I'm going to look into it and maybe buy it. Um, so I really hope it finds a bigger audience now. Yeah, um, when they were announcing games for that for the Switch for the first time back in January of last year, and they were talking about Splatoon and Arms, and then later in the year they were talking about Pokémon, uh, it seemed mm. like that they were trying to say, "Hey, esports fans, this can be for you too as a console." And I'm not sure how well that worked, but uh, JRPG fans definitely definitely worked uh between xenoblade 2 which looks a lot like this game and this game uh it seems it it seems that uh that niche is very at home on the switch almost immediately uh which which is cool that's that's one more thing in nintendo's pocket uh aside from that we've got some new info on some other uh known games kirby star allies is coming out soon it's in march that looks like it's going to be nintendo's big march game um luigi's balloon world um it is dlc upcoming dlc for super mario odyssey it's not the dlc you want but it's the dlc you deserve i guess uh <laughs> Pokémon tournament dx is getting two new dlc characters in the form of aegislash and blastoise they are paid dlc um i've always thought blastoise would be right at home in Pokémon. Uh, especially like to recreate the cover of Pokemon Stadium for the N64. Mm. It's cool that you can have Charizard and Blastoise in there and fight, fighting against each other. That's that's the dream. Um, <laughs> Payday 2, when it comes to the Switch, is going to have a new character in it, and it, its face looks like it's based on Joy-Cons. If you don't understand what I mean, just look it up. It's weird. Um, Faye. So the one of the earliest instances of thinking that there was going to be a direct on this day was EA hinting at it, or sorry, not hinting. There was a leak thing for Faye that says that its Switch port would be announced in a January direct. Turned out to be true uh, because everything's true all the time, and that game looks really cool. Three uh, D platformer with a really interesting pastel dark art style that's hard to describe uh i'm very interested in it i'm excited about it that's coming out in february i think and celeste which is coming out at the end of this month which is a uh, very difficult it's a tough as nails 2d pixel art platformer i'm i'm very excited about that's kind of like right up my alley 
any of these announcements really get your mind going, James? Any of these really <laughs> grind your gears? Uh, well, look, Kirby Star Allies might be the first Kirby game that I actually get into just because of the whole cooperative multiplayer element. That, that actually looks pretty cool. You've, yeah. You've never gotten into a Kirby game? No, look, Kirby's just... Uh, it's one of those franchises that I find... Um, uh, it's just a little bit too sort of simplistic, I think, the gameplay for me. I I play it for a little while and then I just sort of lose interest. But I think the, the hook for me with this one is the um is the cooperative element which i think i can see it being kind of a fun almost like a party game experience uh in the living room that's something i'm looking forward to um i'm not terribly interested in luigi's balloon world Uh, (laughs) i I, i'm uh, nintendo are going for a really unique angle there i think in terms of you don't want to hide a balloon and then then find a balloon (laughs) No, I do that in real life every day, Mitchell. I don't want to do it in a digital world. <laughs> I'm doing that after this podcast. Hiding balloons. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my thing, man. Uh, <laughs> no, look, it, it's interesting to me, though, that Nintendo sort of specifically called out the whole speedrunning aspect. Like, mm-hmm. they're almost saying, hey, speedrunners, you might want to play this. Um, we'll see. We'll see <laughs> if speedrunners are actually interested in that. Um yeah, not quite the DLC I wanted, but I'm sure someone will have fun with it. I um, with, with Luigi's Balloon World, it's uh, I feel like this kind of has to be a little taste test for DLC in the future, uh, for for Super Mario Odyssey, and maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe I'm getting myself hyped up for nothing, but um, this is just so nothing. It's just such a not <laughs> thing. There are a few other costumes for Mario. Uh, that are coming with this DLC. And I think that's the exciting thing for a lot of people. There's the the uh, Hawaiian shirt from Super Mario Sunshine. There's mm. a knight outfit. And there's a third thing that I don't remember. But yeah. um, basically those will be somehow obtainable within the Luigi's Balloon World patch if this is the only dlc for mario odyssey i'm i'm honestly pretty disappointed i'd rather them just not have done it because it comes off cynical it comes off hey this game is very popular with speedrunners and people have been asking where luigi is bada bing bada boom just got two of them (laughs) in one place and now it's well i i don't know i i have the only thing that that keeps me a little bit non-cynical about it is just the fact that i believe this is free is it not yeah, it is free. Um, That's true. If if you if you popped a balloon and a and a loot crate ca- fell out, <laughs> like that would be that that would piss me off. But um, you know, a, a lot of people probably won't give this a second thought. But it's one of those things where, um, and Nintendo has done this a f- quite a few times on Switch now. You know, they they have this way of, um, and they're obviously doing it with games like arms and splatoon 2 to a much greater extent but right yeah the idea that you buy this game and you're getting you know in some cases you're getting up to a year of free updates is pretty amazing i think especially when you look at the broader industry it's it's actually very unusual um um and then so just looking at the rest of this list uh i'm really interested in Faye as well 
Absolutely. I really hope that plays as well as it looks. Um, it, it just looks gorgeous. It reminds me a little bit of Ori and the Blind Forest on Xbox One, just in terms of that kind of whimsical art style. Yeah, that, that dark whimsy. Yeah, it just looks beautiful. Yeah. Um, and, and I may look at Celeste as well. Um, that, that actually looks pretty interesting. Oh, pretty unique. I forgot one. I, uh, mm. I forgot to read one. Uh, Donkey Kong in Mario and Rabbids. In oh, Mario plus Rabbids, there is going to be a DLC, a story DLC. It looks like a whole new world, which is about a quarter of the original game. There were four worlds in the original game. So now there's going to be a fifth world. It looks like that world is Donkey Kong Island. And the new character that you get is Donkey Kong himself. Uh, he throws a banana around. He throws his friends around. He's just a throwy guy. Um, I'm as a big Donkey Kong fan. I'm I'm very into this. I I'm excited about it. Um, I don't have anything else really to say about it because we don't know the extent to which this is, like how much of a time, like how much of a time sink this is going to be, how much mm. content it will be, or even how much it costs. We uh, or when it comes out. No, we don't know any of that stuff yet. So yeah, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll hold opinions on that until we do. Finally, yeah, there were that... two games, two full new games announced in this Nintendo Direct, um, both of which I would consider to not be huge deals. Uh, one of them is SNK Heroines. Uh, that's a fighting game, including all of the... or Not all of... I, uh, many of the women characters from previous SNK games, like King of Fighters, if there is... A female playable character in that game she's probably in this one too um and mario tennis aces a new tennis game for mario on the switch uh that has a story mode which is interesting because the previous tennis game for the wii u had nothing um so in comparison that's a big jump uh any any thoughts on these two uh i i'm actually looking forward to mario tennis aces i it, it's easy like on the one hand it, it's kind of easy to think oh well you know it's just another mario sports game it's kind of a gap filler or whatever but uh i i was really impressed with the visuals when i when i watched the video i mean i suppose that's par for the course with nintendo's own content on switch these days but it just looked fantastic and I think the addition of like a single player story mode is kind of the main thing that interests me with right. it. Um, you know, obviously multiplayer will be a big component, but I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how extensive that story mode is. If it's like a a really good kind of um, deep, you know, relatively deep experience. If it's a big part of the game. Um, and it looks like there are some interesting kind of boss battles and stuff that could be something that that kind of wins me over in terms of picking this one up um i in terms of snk heroines i'm not a big fighting game person so it's not really something that appeals to me but i was thinking about the fact that you know obviously there are going to be a ton of people who are looking forward to a smash there are going to be a lot of people maybe who was sort of at least looking at brawl out uh, while they wait for smash 
But this game is um, this game might fill a bit of a unique gap in the sense that it's more of a it's more on the Tekken side than the Smash side. It seems to yeah, me. Yeah, it's it definitely looks, a more traditional fighting game. Yeah. So so in that sense, you know, it, it might if it's actually a good game, if it turns out to be a good a good fighting game, and it looks uh, like it's got a lot of potential, um, you know, that might be an interesting gap filler for Nintendo from that perspective. With um. With Mario Tennis Aces, Camelot's making it, and Camelot's made all of the Mario Tennis and Mario Golf games for a while. The mm. Game Boy Color uh, and Game Boy Advance Mario Tennis and Mario Golf had pretty heavy RPG elements in them, and they had like full stories as well. That yeah. If this story mode is anything like that, awesome. Maybe the new best mario tennis game which is so amazing because again ultra smash for the wii u um it was just bare bones there were no like themed courts uh no story mode at all it 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 was very evident that it was camelot's first hd game and they were having a hard time with it but now Mm. i'm i'm wondering was that game even supposed to come out or was that like the first time we've seen any part of this game yeah like this is what that game was actually supposed to be or something like that. Um, I don't know. Conspiracy theory right there. So that was the Nintendo <laughs> direct, um, in borderline exciting stuff for the most part. And then you got your, your heavy hitters like, um, like dark souls and the existence of my favorite person, funky Kong. Uh, the very next day, there was a big Nintendo announcement as well. Uh, Detective Pikachu was announced to come to the West. Are you familiar with this game? Do you know anything about it? Uh, I, only vaguely. I, I was um, I was just looking at a at an article yesterday that was doing a size comparison of the amiibo that comes with yeah. this game, <laughs> and it's like you know one metric ton of amiibo like it's just it's crazy and i kind of want it as well but it's it's so ridiculous so the deal with this game is that it came out um a full two years ago in japan and when it came out in japan it was just called episode one of detective pikachu and it ended on a cliffhanger and everything and people were (laughs) they wanted to get to the end of this story but then episode two didn't come and then episode one wasn't even localized in the West, what's happening? Uh, and we just thought, okay, maybe that's just one of the, you know, Pokemon have spinoffs all the time. This wasn't a big one, I guess. But then Legendary, the movie studio, the American movie studio, announced that they'd be doing a live action Pokemon movie. <laughs> and we thought, oh, is this going to be like a like a retelling of Red and Blue or something like that? No, it is not, James. This live-action Pokemon movie is Detective Pikachu. This is that's the movie they're making. That is the <laughs> yeah. first the first time Pokemon's broken into live-action, big-budget Hollywood movies. They're doing the story of Detective Pikachu, this small one-episode, unfinished Japanese-only spin-off game. So what's up with that? What will it ever come to America? Yes, it will, and yes, it'll come to Australia and Europe as well. Uh, and when it comes out in March in all those places, uh, it will also come with episode two, and episode two will launch in Japan at the same time. Um, 
and that that should be the end of the story. I don't think there's an episode three. That's it's so weird. It's like the weirdest. <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, uh, I know this is a really obvious question, but what kind of crimes is Detective Pikachu solving? Like, is this CSI level stuff or? Is he solving the crime of, like, who stole the cookie from the cookie jar? Like, what? how gruesome does this get, Mitchell? What's weird is I actually think it's, like, CSI-level stuff. I There could... <laughs> I really do. I, I think that's what it is. I haven't... I've tried not to spoil the game over the years because I've <laughs> assumed that at some point in my life I'm going to play it. Um, mm. But, but yeah, it, it, it like, maybe <laughs> there's murder. I don't know. It, yeah. it could be. Um, it, like does he get into like all these jurisdictional battles with the feds and there's like a courtroom <laughs> scene and a love triangle and i, I just i hope so the, you know uh, yeah i hope so if all of those ingredients are there sign me up um for the movie itself there was a pretty big petition to get danny devito to play pikachu because in the story <laughs> of detective pikachu this pikachu talks and Danny DeVito yeah. would fit that role, like that grizzled Pikachu, <laughs> really well. Um, yeah. But in the movie, Ryan Reynolds is actually going to play Pikachu. Oh. Yeah, weird, right? That, uh, I, I, yeah. I Weirder still, that. the Pikachu in the game is not voiced by Ryan Reynolds. I mean, that's not weird. That would be really expensive. But what is weird is that the Pikachu in the game is voiced by someone who sounds like he's doing... A Danny DeVito impression. <laughs> so, like, they're aware that they wanted it to be Danny DeVito, but they just didn't do that. But they made it sound like Danny DeVito, even though it should sound like Ryan Reynolds if it's going to if it's going to tie into the movie at all. It's so weird, James. This is such a weird game. <laughs> yeah. Look, I uh, you know I don't want to be presumptuous, Mitchell, but I detect Oscars on the horizon here. <laughs> <laughs> could be you don't know uh best performance of a pikachu um <laughs> yeah. yeah the the actual 20th pokemon movie that came out recently had some weird stuff with pikachu's performance so i suppose it could go to anyone um mm. so james are you ready for our next big segment buying a rick and morty t-shirt at hot topic Coffee, i want the jump here is this week's hot topic. <laughs> Logan Paul pulled some bullshit in Suicide Forest, also known as Akihabara Forest or Sea of Trees, Japan. If I said Akihabara wrong, I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to do Japanese. Um, basically, and this is this is sensitive. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're possibly... Uh, really put off by this if you might know what's coming up and you don't want to listen to it you can skip it i i won't feel bad that you do but the 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 gist of it is that logan paul walked into an area of japan known for a very high quantity of suicide uh found someone uh, the body of someone who's committed suicide uh put it in his video and was just talking about it in his video candidly there were jokes made um, it was not respectful in the slightest. And that was it. For the longest time, he was just fine. He wasn't taken down a notch by YouTube or anything. Uh, recently, actually, 
YouTube has knocked him from the uh, highest tier of YouTube payment, which is probably like a lot of money from the highest thing to the second highest thing. Uh, so it, it's nice to see that YouTube has taken action in that way. But in other news, right besides that, children's programming on YouTube has gone nearly fully automated. James Bridal did a wonderful Medium article called Something is Wrong on the Internet that uh, you, you should really search out. The, the idea is that he looked at what children are watching on YouTube. And children are watching a lot on YouTube. It's like free babysitting. Parents can just put like an iPad in their lap and they'll just watch anything on YouTube. Um, they can... These content creators can make videos based on, you know, the things that kids are very, very likely to seek out. Like Spider-Man, Elsa from Frozen, um, the word pregnant, kids really like that. Um, this this one song that recurs everywhere called the Finger Song um, that kids seem to really like videos of on YouTube. Um, and th- these core elements and there's not very many elements that are like this maybe like a total of 15 are just mixed and matched uh automatically and these videos are just produced and put up on youtube and these kids are watching them non-stop and some of them are really disturbing some of them just because they're automated and like the way that they're produced is without uh without purview they're just happening. They're they're just like happening. And if some of them are really like out there or disturbing, they'll just continue to exist unchecked because they don't break YouTube's guidelines, which is really focused on copyright and nothing else. And they don't break the moral guidelines of the person making them because the person making them is a machine. Uh, all of this stuff together combined with the the Logan Paul episode, has led a lot of people to view YouTube as a place that kind of sucks. James, what do you think about this? Uh, Oh, this is a big one. (laughs) It's a big uh, one. YouTube is really big for video games. It's it's grown alongside video games since YouTube's been a thing. People Mm. have been uploading Let's Plays and reviews and analyses, and and just, like, uh, multiplayer game footage, everything. It's been a huge yeah. part of YouTube. Uh, the biggest person on YouTube is PewDiePie, who is a gamer. What, what do you think? What? How does well, this impact I'm, us? So, I, I have to assume that my day-to-day experience with this is probably similar to a lot of people, which is that... It used to be the case a few years ago, you know, that I would watch, um, I mean, I was never a big TV watcher anyway, but I would watch, you know, just some normal commercial free-to-air television and I'd watch YouTube clips here and there, maybe on the train or, you know, just occasionally. What's happened though over the last couple of years is I rarely, rarely watch normal, you know, quote-unquote normal 
commercial television anymore. Mm-hmm. Most of my TV watching is some combination of YouTube plus, you know, Netflix plus um, iTunes. So there's there seems to be this big shift going on where, you know, YouTube was this kind of, and, and I guess it still is kind of this wild west of uh, lack of uh, governance and regulatory control. Um, but it's now become the primary vehicle for a lot of people in terms of their media consumption, whether they're children or adults or whatever. Um and I think we're just in a situation where, and, and this is true with social media as well, uh, the technology and the uptake of the technology has, has exploded so quickly, so much faster than our kind of um, ethical approach to, to governing these things, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like YouTube, uh, for all the flack that YouTube has, has had through this, I feel for them a little bit because I think they actually, they are really struggling to understand, you know, we've created this thing that's just completely out of control. Um, There was this idea at one point that, you know, it was going to be this utopia of self-made content and, you know, you could, you could make a video about anything, no matter how kind of niche it is. And, you know, it's all wonderful. But of course, it's reached the point of such huge penetration that although there's a lot of great stuff on there and, and probably the majority is, is pretty benign, you do get this stuff that's either, you know, really, really disturbing or that's kind of pushing at these ethical and moral boundaries. And there's all this outrage about individual incidents um, of, of just outright stupidity Um but YouTube just doesn't seem to know how to actually deal with this in, a, in an ongoing kind of operational way. Um, I mean, they, at, at one point, I'm not sure when, they, they introduced, um, you know, an automated moderating system, right? Um, which, YouTube heroes. Which, yeah, which, which really failed as far as I can tell because there were so many legitimate videos that were being demonetized um still are and of course and and still are and of course a lot of a lot of gaming channels that i watch regularly were were suffering from this um and of course what was happening was you know they their video would get would be flagged and would be demonetized they would raise a complaint with youtube and even if youtube um you know removed that flag they were removing it after a few days and of course, if you look at the traffic on YouTube for any particular channel and any video, you know, it spikes in kind of the tw- first 24 to 48 hours after a video is published and then tails off very quickly. So the majority of your uh, of the money you make from content happens in that very short space of time. Right. So even if your video is unflagged, the damage is done and... I know there were there were quite a few people who were making a living from YouTube who basically said, "I can't do this anymore. Like, I it, it's now actually not sustainable to make a living from it." Um, and YouTube at the moment, uh, I mean, I think there's always going to be a place for some sort of AI moderation system, 
but I believe they recently announced, and I could have the number wrong, but they're hiring something like 10,000 human moderators to work with, like to work in conjunction with the AI system to try and improve moderation across the board. Um, we'll see how successful it is. I think they're so deep into this problem that it's going to be very difficult to find a way out. Um, so one thing and that is uh, angering a lot of people is that there is a lot of effort made by YouTube in moderating its content. It just seems that that effort is radically misplaced. Um, video game reviewers, including uh, content in or game content, game footage in their videos, falls under uh, free use because it's uh, critical in nature. Or if you're doing a parody, that's free use as well. If you're doing a, uh, um, if if you're transforming it significantly in some way and you need that original context for your thing to make sense that's fair use also um and some really cut and dry fair use practices are just being immediately demonetized for uh using copyrighted material despite the fact that it's for use despite the fact that this uh flagging process is reportedly done by humans uh, this is happening all the time. And Nintendo and Disney and these big companies uh, seem to think that they can tell critics and reviewers that they actually own some of their um, profits if you use Nintendo or Disney footage, even if you're using it in free use. And that's a lot of people, including myself, would say that's borderline illegal. I don't think you should be able to do that. But uh, but uh, YouTube doesn't seem to have that much of a problem with it. But you know who's not being flagged by these these practices? Um, people who have who have said dramatically and factually racist things um, mm. on on stream or in their videos, like JonTron or PewDiePie. Um, the, these people are, are too big to, to sink. So when these, when they go off the deep end and they do things that are like, wow, that's crazy. Your content is marketed to children. This shouldn't be allowed to happen. Uh, YouTube's, YouTube raises their arms and they say, well, it's, it's too hard to moderate everything. But then when it's, mm. you know, all these small people, they're getting moderated like crazy, um, because they just use some cartoon footage in their videos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think it, it speaks to a couple of different problems. I mean, it's one problem is the moderation system itself really doesn't work because a lot of it is automated and, uh, and, and, you know, it's a pretty broad and apparently fairly indiscriminatory net that's being cast across these videos. Um, but the other problem, I think, is that, you know, as you said before, uh, YouTube's main area of governance seems to be around uh, copyright and intellectual property. Uh, and with everything else, 
they generally seem to have taken this very hands-off attitude almost to say, well, you know, um, aside from the copyright and IP related stuff, you know, it's, it's free speech. We don't have an opinion on it. We, we, there's nothing we can do. I mean, they seem to be taking this very hands-off approach. Uh, but the thing is, I think they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. And it, it really doesn't work. I mean, you've either got to, you've either, if you're YouTube, you've either got to take a completely hands-off approach, which I don't think is really very workable, mm-hmm. or you have to behave a little bit more like a, an established media company would. Um, you know, and, and it goes back to that comment I made earlier about watching traditional commercial television versus YouTube. You know, if you're a traditional commercial outlet, you know, there are certain, there's a certain degree of content rules in each country around the content that you can air and when you can air it, um, your content needs to have a, an age classification, you know, there are various hoops you have to jump through essentially or comply with. And I think, I think the only way out of this for YouTube and the only way to really correct this for everybody else is for YouTube to actually sort out this governance problem and lean into it properly and say, well, you know, we actually do have to sort out all of these inconsistencies now. We actually do have to take a position on these things, the content we will and will not tolerate and what are those rules? We need to make them explicit for everybody. Right. Um, I, I think that's definitely, I can see why they wouldn't do it uh, or why they would be hesitant because obviously that's going to create a situation where certain content creators, including some bigger ones, might decide that they're going to leave YouTube. There might be other, you know, There might be competitors that emerge that say, well, we're going to offer you this completely no holds barred zone where you can just do anything, but I, I can't see any other way around it. YouTube's so influential now, mm-hmm. uh, and they're getting into um, increasing amounts of trouble over these incidents. Um, and as much as the Logan Paul video was shocking, maybe I'm just becoming more and more cynical. But <laughs> whether it's YouTube or social media, like. I feel like it's this daily, maybe hourly occurrence I get, I where something saying, just, yeah. you know, phenomenally stupid happens. That's always going to be there. Um, it's it's now really up to these networks and these providers to say, well, that's not okay, and we we're going to establish a much tighter system for policing these things. The trick, the trick, in my opinion, is that. Um, a lot of what we've been talking about is just this awful material readily available to millions of children uh, who's mm. who this is like their main form of entertainment. I'm sure, I don't have any numbers in front of me, but, but I'm sure YouTube is watched by more man hours per day, watched for more man hours per day than like television or movies or anything else combined. It's that big. Yeah. Um, the flip side is that so much of what's available on YouTube, I would say, is so much better than anything else kids have also had access to in the past as well. Like, really yeah. smart video essays about things that kids probably care about if they care about video games and that kind of, like, uh, entertainment stuff. Uh, 
dissections of things like trying to figure out why they like things that that stuff's interesting and it makes them think and it's all there and there's very educational stuff and if you need to learn how to do something like something like handiwork around the house anything like that it's there and for a kid to not only have access to it at such a young age but be intrinsically drawn toward it i think could be one of the greatest aspects of of this future generation that's growing up right now like they could just mm. know so much more than anyone else has ever known like the gap between us and them is, is going to be huge enormous in just the stuff that they grow up having already known and taking for granted for years um and that is what i'd like to keep encouraging that's that's the positive note i think we're going to end this on um if youtube can just rework their priorities and and really look at that as something that they want to continue going into the future and all of all of this other stuff that seems like if they focused a little bit less on copyright and a little bit more on on just moderation could maybe go away pretty easily they could just do it uh, i think they could just do it i'm probably ignoring some really significant technical hurdle that i'm not thinking of right now but i i think that the future of youtube could be amazing could be great um that's gonna do it that's been our show if you want to write into the show you can have your message read on the show you, you can uh reach us at podcast at superjump.online sorry i kind of chewed I, I choked on that one a little bit that's podcast at superjump.online at the end of every show we like to do our after school activities our after school activities are the things that uh we recommend for you our audience to check out between episodes of super jump podcast being that the super jump podcast does only come out once every two weeks uh i'll start Polygon.com has done a wonderful series of articles called Year in Review. Uh, if you just go Year in Review 2017, Polygon, I'm, I'm sure you'll find it on Google. Uh, basically, they are outsourcing their uh, writing staff to developers, or their, their writing efforts to developers. And developers themselves have written about some of their favorite games of the year, uh, often about someone else's game. Uh, one of my favorites is by Jake Solomon. Jake Solomon, if you don't know, uh, is famous within the circle of video games for working on the XCOM series. And he's done this entire, uh, this entire article about what he's learned from Mario plus Rabbids, uh, which is, of course, very similar to the XCOM series in, um, in genre. So that's really cool. Um, and then Ken Levine from Bioshock fame, he's written on Zelda and the way Breath of the Wild, like, throws away so much of the old to make way for the new, it, it's amazing. I, I think this is one of the best series of articles I've, like, ever seen on a, on a video game yeah. news website. So I recommend anyone, anyone should check that out. Uh, James, what is your after-school activity? Um, so speaking of YouTube mm. and, <laughs> and speaking of Dark Souls, I, I wanted to recommend a YouTuber called Vati Vidya. He's a, um, 
he's an Aussie YouTuber. I think he's based in Sydney. And he pretty much his whole channel has been dedicated to everything uh, souls, souls born, including Bloodborne. Um, he's he's kind of known within the souls community as being one of the key kind of law experts. Um, he, he does a lot of videos about the, the characters and the themes of the of the games um, and uh, he it recently actually um, because of the lack of souls news, uh, he was starting to find creative and funny ways of talking about non souls games and relating them back to souls without angering his audience too much. Uh, it was interesting to watch him walk that tightrope. Um, but of course, with the announcement of, of Dark Souls Remastered and the Dark Souls trilogy uh, being released, um, he, that, that's kind of given him some new, some new fodder to go through. But uh, if, if you're intending to play Dark Souls, if you're going to play it for the first time on Switch and you want to know what it's all about, it's got a really rich and deep and interesting lore. Um, I highly recommend um, Vardy's work. He, his videos are fantastic. That's, uh, that's very insightful. Uh, if anyone didn't quite catch that, Vadi Vidya is spelled V-A-A-T-I-V-I-D-Y-A. I, I assumed that there might be some confusion out there. Because it's a weird spelled name. I think Vati is a Zelda character. Um, yeah, I think he that's actually where he got it from. And yet he doesn't talk about Zelda, which is interesting. Hmm. Cool. Uh, so that's Polygon's Year in Review and Vati Vidya on YouTube. For your after-school activities, check them out. So, a uh, quick announcement. Mid-jumps are coming back. We're going to be doing those again. That means that you're getting some form of Super Jump Podcast content, if not the Super Jump Podcast itself, every week from now on. Unless I can't. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can. And it's going to happen next week for the first time in 2018. Uh, so get excited for that. I can't quite tell you yet what I'm doing. It's a surprise. In the meantime, if you could subscribe to our podcast and wherever you listen to podcasts, review us on iTunes, tell a friend, check us out on Medium, uh, check the actual Super Jump magazine, uh, read some of our articles, clap for them if you can. If you do any of that, any or all of that stuff, that's so important and we'll know and we'll thank you on the show or not. If you don't want, you can specify that as well. That's totally fine. Um... We, we just we just are trying to get a lot of community involvement you could again you could listen uh sorry write into us at podcast at superjump.online we will uh answer any questions read any messages right here on the show so we'll jump at you next time stay super first you fall down then you jump back up again find your rhythm momentum is the key